good to be in the 50-something club. It just communicates the Lord's faithfulness in my life, and for that I praise Him. Um, would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, if you haven't already? And would you please stand with me as we read the Word of God? Trinity. This is God's word. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now, all, now, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he has, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Church, this is God's word. May be seated. The title of this sermon is, Let Us Magnify the Lord. But before we dive into the sermon, I want to take a moment to invite you, invite everyone here to our one-hour Christmas Eve service starting at 5 o'clock here in the auditorium. And so more than anything this Christmas season, our heart is to worship Jesus who brought us into right relationship with God the Father. The Christmas Eve service is an opportunity for us to tune out the commercialism of Christmas and to tune in to worship Jesus as a church family. We ask that you would invite your families and your friends to this one-hour Christmas Eve service. Well, this morning we begin, as Tim said earlier, our Christmas Advent series. And if you are new to the Advent tradition, then the Christmas Advent uh, series simply means, or the Christmas Advent simply means, the coming of Jesus. The Christmas Advent marks the coming of the Son of God in frail human form and all the wonders that come with our salvation. It also serves to prepare us for His second coming and all the wonders that come with His second coming. The Christmas Advent helps us to know how to live our lives in light of His second coming, that we are to live a life of godliness, and that we are to live with expectant hope. John Piper says that the Advent is a way to lengthening and intensify the joy of Christmas. Well, our sermon text this morning was written by Luke. Luke was said to be a meticulous historian. According to a Bible scholar, he gave a detailed, careful, 
comprehensive account of the life of Jesus so that the readers can have certainty of the Christian faith. Luke's gospel is said to be the fullest in all the gospel records and more polished in its literary style. Leland and Philip Ryken, father-son theologian, says this, if Mark was a storyteller and Matthew was a Bible scholar, then Luke was an investigator reporter. They continue to say, with a doctor's eye for detail and a journalist's passion for getting the facts straight, Luke's goal was to give a solid basis for having full certainty of the salvation in Christ Jesus. The gospel of Luke is the gospel of knowing for sure. And it is my prayer and my hope for us this morning that Mary's song can persuade us to have certainty in the midst of our doubts at times that our faith in Christ Jesus is real. My goal for the unbelievers who are here this morning and for those of you who are live streaming is that when you listen to Mary's song, that you will be persuaded that it is the word of God, inspired by the word of God, and it has bearing upon your life and it has the power to redeem so that you may believe with all certainty the good news of the gospel. So read this as the truth of God, spoken by God, inspired by God. Read this gospel personally as addressed to you. It is not a myth, nor is it merely an interesting story, but it is true history. Its people and places are true people and true places. I have been to these places This is a true account of Jesus Christ, and in it is a message of calling you to repentance and saving faith. So here's the background of Luke chapter 1. The announcement of the birth of Jesus parallels the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, the parallel is important because the two highlight continuity between the Old Testament represented by John the Baptist and the New Testament represented by Jesus Christ. Simply put, the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of all the ancient prophecies of the long-awaited Messiah. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning that reminds us of why we celebrate Christmas. We thank you that Jesus came to extend to us mercy and forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And for that, we desire to magnify him and rejoice in you, our God, our Savior. Father, bless our time together in your word. Cause it to be profitable and useful in our lives so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who saved us from darkness and transferred us into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, I love Christmas songs, don't you? Yeah, one person. All right, Audrey, me and you. (laughs) However, some Christmas songs just can't get me into the Christmas uh, mood. Is that true of you? Like, for example, Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. (laughs) The trouble with that Christmas song is that yesterday was 87 degrees. The sun was blaring. The bugs were eating me up while we were putting up Christmas lights. I just can't get in that kind of mood. Or what about this? Chestnuts roasting on the open fire. The trouble about that is all I've roasted on the open fire is a marshmallow. It's just, to me, it doesn't connect well. But there are some great Christmas worship songs that really get my heart into the spirit of worship of Jesus Christ. Like You're Here by Francesca Battistelli. She sings this. Hold on now, I gotta take a deep breath. I don't know what to say when I look in your eyes. You made the world before I was born. Here I am holding you in my arms tonight. Noel, Noel, Jesus our Emmanuel, you're here, and I'm holding you so near. I'm staring into the face of my Savior, King and Creator. He could have left us on our own, but you're here. I don't know how long I'm going to have you for, but I'll be watching when you change the world. I look at your hand, they're still so small. Someday, you're going to stretch them out and save us all. Noel, Noel, God with us, Emmanuel. This song was written with Mary's perspective, but this morning, we get to consider Mary's own Christmas song, and her song should lead us to worship Jesus Christ because Jesus came to show us mercy. He extended mercy to us. Therefore, church, let us magnify him. Let's magnify Jesus and rejoice in God our Savior. The coming of the Son of God, the Son of Mary, is significant because of why he came. He came to show mercy to an undeserving people like us. He came to show mercy to an unworthy people like you and me. So in our text this morning, in Mary's song, she sings about Jesus who came to show mercy to three different groups of people. Jesus came to show mercy toward Mary Jesus came to show mercy towards us, and Jesus came to show mercy 
toward the nation of Israel. First, God's mercy toward Mary. Elizabeth was about six months pregnant with John the Baptist when Mary was pregnant with Jesus came when she came to visit her. So look with me at verse 43. Here's what's taking place. Elizabeth speaking, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken of her from the Lord. Did you notice how Mary responded to Elizabeth's question? She didn't really answer the question in a phrase. No, she began to sing a song of praise. Verse 46 and 47 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's song is called the Magnificat which means magnifies, because in the Latin Vulgate translation of Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it reads, Magnificat anima mea dominum, or my soul magnifies the Lord. It is the first of three hymns that we see in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, the second being the Benedictus of Zechariah. We see this in verses 68 to 79, and the third being the Nuna Demetus of Simeon. We see this in chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. And so in her, in her initial vi uh, visit with Elizabeth, all she wanted to do was magnify the Lord and rejoice in God, her Savior. Mary's response to Elizabeth's question is a bit odd, isn't it? She responded in a song. Now, many of us, when we're asked questions about something, we don't respond in a song, do we? Perhaps we weren't made privy of their greeting details. But nevertheless, ladies, how would you reply if God the Father chose you to bear the Son of God? I think you would rejoice also. I think you would want to magnify the Lord for choosing you. I believe it's an appropriate response. Mary's song follows the format of a psalm of thanksgiving. Like we see in Psalm 30, 34, and Psalm 138. Psalms of thanksgiving begin by thanking God, and then the psalmist states why he is thankful and this is how Mary's song progresses in these verses. So what does it mean to magnify the Lord? We really don't want, we really don't talk like this these days, right? Like, oh, I just want to magnify you, Melinda. <laughs> it's, it's just not a word in my vocabulary as it relates to that word. Well, what does it mean to magnify the Lord? I think if we are to magnify the Lord, we should know what the original meaning is of that. Well, simply it means to praise the Lord. It means to glorify the Lord. It means to exalt the Lord. It means to make great the Lord. It means, it means to enlarge the Lord. 
And so how can we make great the Lord? How can we magnify the Lord? One way is to sing, and we did that this morning. Another way to make great the Lord is by meditating on passages like Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, or um, another one would, could be John 1, verses 1 through 14. There are many other great passages that we can meditate on to make great of the Lord. But here's one. Let's consider it together. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You see, church, the more we know about the greatness of the Lord, the, the greater our ability is to enlarge him in our hearts. Another way to magnify the Lord is through corporate worship. As I said earlier, we can sing to him, but corporate worship is different, right, than individual worship. Corporate worship intensifies how I can magnify the Lord when I look around as we sing to the Lord and see my brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping the Lord with passion. I love that when I see a brother or sister in Christ worship, they're lost in this world because they are in their hearts in the presence of God. I love that. It's totally different than worshiping alone. Martin Luther says this, At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. This is why the gathered church is so important. This is why each and every one of you is so important, because without you, we are that much less warm. Without you here with us, we are that much less vigor in our worship of the Lord. Now, that is not a slight to you who are, who are live streaming this morning. You have to live stream at home because you have health issues. We want to encourage you to stay home. But I just want to share with you that without you, you are missed. And we are that much less warm, less vigor without you. Mary also rejoiced in God, her Savior. Although Mary was chosen to give birth to the Son of God, Mary herself recognized that she was a sinner and also in need of a Savior just like you and me. She had to put her faith and trust in her Son. And God met Mary in her helplessness and weakness. Amen to that. Because God, in Christ Jesus, met us in our helplessness and weakness. Mary is not to be worshipped. 
She's not divine, though. She was divinely blessed to be the mother of Jesus. Now, for Mary, to rejoice in her spirit is to rejoice in her entire being. And for us to rejoice in our God, our Savior, we are to rejoice with all that we are and all that is within us, church. How? With all of our heart, with all of our voices, with all of our strength and might, with all of our hands lifted up because he's worthy to be praised. Why? We rejoice in God because in Christ, he came in an extended mercy to us. Christ came to bring us eternal blessings, not momentary gifts and presents, but eternal blessings. Let me ask you this, Trinity. Has the Spirit of God produced joy in your hearts because of Christ Jesus? Why? Or why not? That's a rhetorical question, but I believe that could be a good discussion question in your family devotions later on tonight or this week. Parents, ask your children, has the Holy Spirit produced joy in your heart because of Jesus Christ this Christmas season? And then ask them why. And ask them, why not? And then share the gospel with them. It's a great way to share the good news of Jesus Christ during this Advent season. Look with me at verses 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed or blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. You notice the word for there in verses 48 and 49. That tells us that what Mary is about to share is the reason why she rejoiced in God, her Savior. Why did she sing a song of thanksgiving? Why did she rejoice in God? It says for, here's why. God has looked upon her humble state as a servant. Where Zechariah failed to believe Gabriel's word, Mary humbly and beautifully submitted to the Lord's will. She humbly believed in God's words to her. Jesus came to the lowly. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, was mindful of her, that he regarded her and looked upon her with favor. And so it is with you and I, church, you and me. The Lord was mindful of us. He took notice of us. He regarded us and looked upon us with favor. Listen, if one of the most popular actors or athletes in the world walked by you, do you think he or she would notice you? I would say in most cases, probably not. But the creator of heaven and earth 
our Redeemer took notice of us. Amen. He regarded our need of a Savior. He looked upon us with favor. This is the creator of heaven and earth, church. And he extended his mercy to us all. That's amazing. St. Augustine, considered by many to be the greatest theologian of the church, said this, For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second thing, and humility is the third thing. You get it. By the world's standards, Mary should have been picked last, right? To, to give birth to the Son of God. But God chose her to give birth to his son. Mary was a nobody from a nowhere town called Nazareth. The, the Palmers, Jeffrey and I, had the opportunity to go to the town of Nazareth. And it wasn't all that impressive. But God often uses people who are not great in the world's eyes to work his great purposes here on earth. Just look at Moses, the stutterer, or, or the reluctant Gideon, or David, the shepherd boy, or the 12 disciples, right? They were made up of fishermen. Um, one was a tax collector. One was a terrorist. What a motley crew, right? Well, knowing this church gives us hope for those of us who, have low, who are low in state. So much joy and so much hope that he would take notice of us. I mean, who are we in the eyes of the world? According to the world's standards, we were not the wise ones. According to the world's standards, we were not the powerful ones. According to the world's standards, we were not of noble birth. We see that in 1 Corinthians 1.26. But God chose us to be his sons and daughters. Church, amazing. What a privilege. When you were a child, when you were a young child and you were playing in maybe on uh, your street in front of your house with a bunch of your friends, was one of those things that you dreaded the most being picked last on the football team or stickball team? And um, not sure if any of you struggle with that, but um, teaching in public school, I know that p- picking teams is just not a fun thing. <laughs> it's, it's, not, uh, it's not glorious for some of us who aren't very athletic and gifted in sports. But our God picks first those that should be picked last to accomplish his great purposes here on earth. Church, that's grace. That is unmerited favor. Church, no matter what you're going through right now, no, ma- no matter the suffering or the, 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 the adversities that you're facing because of the consequences of your actions, know this. 
Christ came to extend mercy to you. And know this, that you are important. That you have value. That you are loved. That you are not alone. That he loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross in your place. Oh, church of humble state. A bunch of nobodies in the eyes of the world. You're sons and daughters of the most high God. Amen. Amen. Look with me at verse 49. It says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. For Mary, her age was not the issue when it came to bearing a child. The issue was that she wasn't married and that she was a virgin. But with God, nothing is impossible. He makes barren wombs conceive. He raises the dead to life. He takes the heart of stone and replaces it with the heart, the living heart for him. Lord, uh, God has done great things for Mary, and he has done a great thing for you and me if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Church, that is nothing short of a miracle, right? If you know yourself and if you acknowledge the nature of your sin and the vile thoughts and judgmental thoughts that come to your mind and heart, for God who is holy and pure to extend his mercy to forgive us is a great thing to do. He chose her to bear his promised and long-awaited son. And then one day, this baby will grow up and stretch his arms on the cross to save us all. She was told that her baby is going to be called or shall be called Jesus, which means the Lord saves The angel Gabriel told her that her child is to be called holy, verse 35. And so he is. The Holy One came to make the vile, the unholy, holy. Jesus came to make you and me holy. He came in the likeness of man to purify the impure. Church, this is why we ought to magnify the Lord and rejoice in God our Savior. Here's the second one, God's mercy toward us. Look with me at verses 50 through 53. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. The theme of mercy is significant in the role of the events leading to the birth of Jesus Christ. Because we see this, this, this theme of mercy. We see the word mercy in, in verse 54, in verse 72, and in verse 78. Mercy characterizes how God dealt 
with his people. Mercy characterizes how Jesus, the Son of God, deals with us today. God shows and extends mercy to those who fear him, to those who are spiritually bankrupt, and to those who who know that they need a savior. And so what does it mean to fear God? To fear God is to revere him. To fear God is to have a deep admiration toward him. To fear God is to have great and deep respect for him. To fear God is to have a humble obedience that seeks to please him. And this morning, church, thank God that we don't have to have a humble obedience so that he will save us. Our humble obedience this morning, our humble submission to his will is fruit of our salvation. It is because he saved us, church. It is our glad and sacrificial living of our lives. When Mary said from generation to generation, she included us. We are in that generation. God showed mercy to us instead of judgment, church. It was God's pure love and compassion that that prompted him to to show us his mercy. Church, God's mercy is what what makes it possible for you and me to extend mercy to those who sin against us, right? We can forgive others who sinned against, against us because we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Note the, th- the two words he has there in our text. He has appears eight times in verses 48 through 55. And so at the risk of sounding like a Greek nerd, which would be a compliment, I am not one, however, I know enough just to be dangerous. Um, The term he has was actually written in the aorist tense. And so what does that mean? Why, Why is that important? Well, here's why it's important. Mary used the past tense to describe God's mercy to us. You with me? She viewed the future work of God as so sure that it is presented as past and accomplished. God's covenant mercy is as good as a done deal. God's covenant mercy extends to us forever and ever to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's amazing, church. Lamentation chapter 3, verses 22 through 23 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His, stead, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The aorist tense. He has looked. He has done great things. He has shown great strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. And he has helped Israel. His mercy is secured for us, church. 
Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. Mary's song ties the New Testament with the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, verse 10, we preached on this. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. And this is how God rules his kingdom. He brought great reversals. He came to turn our world upside down. He has scattered the proud, the proud of those who think of themselves as self-sufficient and have no need of God. But he exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent away the rich with nothing. What an upside down world that he came to bring. And glory to his name, because it is for the good of his people. The gospel of Luke shows the Lord's concern for people who are marginalized by society. The women, the children, the poor in those days, they were marginalized. Luke's gospel feature the welcome of outcasts. Like the Christmas, the Christmas shepherds who were made, were often ceremonially unclean because of their work, and their work kept them from, from going to the temple. Like the, the prodigal son and the persistent widow and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. This is a group of outcasts in the world's eyes. And because of our sin, in light of God's holiness, we are all also outcasts. Praise be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to extend mercy to us so that we who believe can be forgiven and can have eternal life. Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He has come to be with the brokenhearted. He has come to be with the alienated, the, the oppressed, the worst of the worst of sinners to show great mercy. And church, what great mercy has he shown us in light of our sin? Praise God. Mary's song parallels Hannah's song found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Not only does both songs magnify the Lord and rejoices in the Lord's salvation, but both songs foreshadows God's acts of deliverance. In both songs, God is pictured as a champion for the poor, the marginalized, the despised. The grace of God is so opposite to the ways and the thoughts of our world system, isn't it? It's amazing. In this world, the people are used and abused and cast aside when they no longer have anything to offer. It is to those people of low, lowly estate that Christ comes to. And ministers to. 
during this Christmas season, let Mary's song remind us that Jesus came to extend his mercy to the downtrodden, the crushed in spirit. God's dealing with people has always been characterized by his mercy. Mercy towards Mary, mercy towards us, and finally, mercy towards Israel. Look with me at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. In sending Jesus to be born of Mary, God in his mercy came to help Israel. You see, during the time of Roman rule and occupation, Israel was oppressed. But God remained faithful to his promises that he made centuries ago to Abraham and his descendants. You see, we can tell from Mary's song that she knew scripture. And she knew enough and demonstrated an understanding that Jesus, her son, was the fulfillment of all the the many divine promises made in the Old Testament. To name a couple, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God promised Abraham that in in, in him all the families in the earth shall be blessed. Here's another one. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. We preached on this one as well, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Indeed, church, when Mary conceived Jesus, God came to help Israel by fulfilling their role as his witnesses to the world. You see, Jesus came and he was wholly devoted to God's redemptive plan. Therefore, he shined his light of truth into the darkened eyes. Jesus said this in in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And for those who acknowledge their sin and confess their need of the Savior... They are saved from the penalty of death and they will receive and have received the eternal blessing of salvation. Amen. In conclusion, church, this is the true meaning of blessedness. It's not about the number of presents under the tree, but being counted as sons and daughters of the living God, as being, as, as Christ given to us as our Savior. That is the true gift. The true blessings is that we are children of the living God. All praise and glory to our God and Savior. The perfect one came to dwell with the imperfect. This is why he came to show us mercy. Therefore, let us magnify the Lord, church, together, and let's rejoice in God our Savior. Would you stand with me? Let's respond in song.